How's it going, everybody? Welcome back to A Thousand Cuts, a BSA podcast. I am your host, Demetrius, and I'm here with my comrades, Tony, Glenn, and Chanel. How y'all doing today? What's going on? What up, though, y'all? How y'all doing? Hello, everybody. Hey, hey, what's up? What's up? Yes, yes. Well, we are glad to be back with y'all. I know that recently on the podcast, y'all been hearing new voices other than myself, Glenn, and Chanel. And that's how we wanted to be. You know, we didn't want to have specific, I guess you could say, voices of the podcast. We wanted different people to be able to to come on, different people within the organization who are in different parts of, of the country and who have different backgrounds and whatnot to be a part of the podcast and give their takes and their perspective. So we are glad to have Tony on yet another episode. So we're going to get into this news. There is a lot of news. <laughs> so we are first going to start off with some international stuff that's going on right now. First, we're going to talk about Armenia and the Azerbaijan conflict. So since September 27th of this year, there has been over a month of fighting between Armenia and Azerbaijan over the territory of Nagorno-Karabakh. Both sides have faced heavy bombardment from drone strikes and missiles. Both sides have possibly had hundreds to thousands of civilian and military lives lost. Recently, Azerbaijan rockets hit a maternity hospital in Nagorno-Karabakh's uh, regional capital, Stepanakert, and various residential areas surrounding it. The Azerbaijani Defense Ministry has denied performing the attack and instead accused Armenian forces of attacking an Azerbaijani town of Tartar and Barda. That attack killed 21 civilians and wounded 70 more. Azerbaijan is backed by the Turkish government and has the advantage over Armenia. So basically, Azerbaijan has a larger GDP than Armenia, spends six times more than Armenia on its military, has highly advanced weaponry. For example, they possess the latest fleet of Israeli drones, the Aerostar, Orbiter 1K, and the Orbiter 3. The Orbiter 1K has what is called a loitering munition, which means that the drone continues to hover around until it eventually finds a target to strike which is insane. Azerbaijan has also been supplied 1,000 Syrian mercenaries who either work for a private Turkish security firm or were tricked into going into fighting. Some of them may also have ties to ISIS. The Minsk group, which is made up of Russia, France, and the U.S. on October 1st, called for a ceasefire between both sides, which failed just like the other multiple calls for a ceasefire from the very same nations independently previously had. The Nagorno-Karabakh region plays a big role economically for these nations. So Russia has economic connections to Armenia and Azerbaijan and is selling both of them weapons. Close to this region are pipelines that connect Turkey and Azerbaijan, which supply the European Union's natural gas and oil. According to a recent report from Al Jazeera, quote, Azerbaijan's President Ilham Aliyev has said his country's forces will go to no end uh, should negotiations fail to result in an agreement by ethnic Armenian forces to withdraw from Nagorno-Karabakh and seven surrounding regions. The article goes on to say that Aliyev, quoted by state news agency Azertag, said he wanted to resolve the conflict through negotiations that will result in the withdrawal of ethnic Armenian forces. Otherwise, he said, we will continue by any means to restore our territorial integrity and we will go to the end. So just want to say love and solidarity to Armenian peoples who are struggling and suffering at this time. So 
We also have an update on the Nigeria police brutality protests, the NSARS uh, protests. On October 21st, the city of Lagos uh, was on a 24-hour curfew after Nigerian security officers opened fire on protesters who were violating curfew. 31 people, 31 people were injured in the incident. There was also a police station that was burned down and two demonstrators were killed by police. According to witnesses and Amnesty International, possibly a dozen people had been killed in that initial firing. And their statements contradict statements coming from the governor of Lagos, who claimed that no one died that day. An article from CBS News reports that, quote, the incident in Lekki came just hours after Governor Sanwo Olu warned on Twitter that the growing protests against police brutality in Nigeria had degenerated into a monster that is threatening the well-being of our society, end quote. Quote, a police statement also had warned that security forces would now exercise full powers of the law to prevent any further attempt on lives and property of civilians, end quote. The article goes on to state that a curfew also went into effect in Benin City after a pair of attacks on correctional facilities that left 1,993 inmates missing. Interior Ministry spokesman Mohamed Manga said large armed crowds had attacked the two prisons, subduing the guards on duty. Uh, it was unclear what the prison's exact populations had been before the attack. There's also the constitutional referendum that happened in Chile. Recently, over 80% of Chilean voters voted in favor of a referendum that would replace their four-decade-old constitution with one that would help foster economic and social equality in their nation. The previous constitution was formed under the reign of Augusto Pinochet, a right-wing dictator who dominated Chile from 1973 to 1990. Pinochet came to power after housing uh, President Salvador Allende in a coup that was backed by the CIA. The people also voted that in April of 2021, they will elect an assembly made of 155 citizens who will write the new constitution. An article from NPR reports that, quote, more than 7.5 million people voted, setting a record for voter participation in Chile since at least 1988, according to Serval, the country's election service. Chile's population was recently estimated at more than 15 million people from an estimated 12.8 million in 1988, end quote. So that is a wonderful development, awesome development out of Chile. And another great development from the Bolivian election, the movement towards Socialism Party just recently won a historic victory. Candidate Luis Arch, the former Minister of Economy and Public Finance under the presidency of Evo Morales, who was ousted in a coup during November of last year, Arch won over 55% of the votes over his seven competitors, including Janine Anaz, who became interim president following the coup. Anaz conceded her defeat and actually congratulated Arch over for his victory over Twitter. According to a report from Reuters, Arch said, Quote, now our great challenge is to rebuild our homeland in peace, to regain joy, stability, and hope for a better tomorrow for all Bolivians, Arch said on social media in response to the final result with a video of his support around the country. We won't let down the trust that people have placed in us. So that is yet another awesome development out of Bolivia. Tony, would you like to go ahead with our uh, national news? Of course. First off, I want to say solidarity with the people in uh, Bolivia and Chile who took a step to secure more freedom, secure more autonomy for themselves. And I'll continue with the national news. COVID-19 surge. In the U.S., more than 500,000 new coronavirus cases have emerged. Our article in the New York Times reports that, quote, in the upper Midwest and Mountain West, records are being smashed almost daily. 
and in some countries, as much as 5% of the population has tested positive for the virus to date. It goes on further to say, in the past month, about a third of U.S. countries hit a daily record of more deaths than any other time during the pandemic. Daily death toll is lower than it was at its peak, but on average, about 800 people who contracted the virus are dying each day. In April, when New York City was hit hard, more than 2,000 people died on the worst days. Recent studies have provided some hope that improved treatment has led to a better survival rate among those ill enough to be hospitalized. But experts worry that the 46% increase in hospitalizations compared with a month ago could overwhelm hospital capacity, especially in rural areas with limited health resources and rollback improvements in survival rates. With case counts trending upward in almost every state and 21 of those states adding more cases in the last week than in any other seven-day stretch, officials in parts of the country are once again implementing control measures. Residents of El Paso are under a two-week stay-at-home order, and indoor dining will be halted in Chicago beginning Friday, October 30th. Other officials are considering new restrictions in an effort to curb the virus's rapid spread. In other news, the Walter Wallace protests continue. On Monday of this week, protests exploded in Philadelphia after a 27-year-old young man, Walter Wallace, was murdered by police officers while experiencing an intense manic episode. Wallace was confirmed by his family to have had bipolar disorder and was being medicated for it. Wallace was a rapper and had nine children. The names of the officers have yet to be released. Violence in the city has escalated quickly. An article from CBS News reports, tensions rose as the night wore on, and early Tuesday, an officer was struck by a pickup truck. The officer, a 56-year-old woman, was treated at a local hospital for a broken leg and other injuries, according to Grip. The pickup truck was found nearby, unoccupied. I continue to quote, police said 29 other officers were briefly hospitalized after being hit by projectiles, including rocks and bricks. More than 30 people were arrested, police said and multiple businesses were looted throughout the city. Five police vehicles were vandalized, along with one from the police department, they added. An article from the USA Today reported that two people are facing charges after police in Philadelphia found a van full of illegal explosives amid multiple nights of unrest in the city over the police shooting of a Black man with mental health problems. Brian LaRue and Eric Murray each received several misdemeanor charges and three felony charges, including possession of weapons of mass destruction, conspiracy, and risking a catastrophe. The pair was transporting quarter or half sticks of dynamite, a handheld propane tank torch, a taser, and various tools including electric drills, bolt cutters, machetes, according to Pennsylvania Attorney General Josh Shapiro. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. And that is it for our news. We're going to go ahead and uh, that was a lot. (laughs) That was a lot. So Let's uh let's go into the conversation. How y'all feeling about everything? What are your thoughts? Let's talk about it. Let's talk about what we what what's been going on. I love to point out how all this stuff is. I, I'm sorry. I, I just wanted to throw this out before we you know got into the deeper conversation. But I, I love to point out how all this stuff is interconnected. You know, the international stuff as, as well as the national stuff. It's it's a uh, it's years of failed domestic and foreign policy by America and, and then the other uh, so called world powers. 
Yeah, agreed. I mean, it's pretty devastating to see how much of a wrench in like the gears of things can be just us having such an ineffective government. But then also just the fact that this government itself was wedged into the world stage as being like this conduit of like maintaining certain degrees of order. And like now it's, you know, and, you know, that was the original idea, right? Was that the, that the U.S. would act as like a world police. But like, you know, our, even when it was, it's under quote unquote, like more liberal fucking governance, you know, we have all these, you know, we had bombs being dropped like crazy. But now that we're at the stage where we literally have like just unfeathered fucking fascism on our eyes, like, and we can't even maintain like domestic shit. All of like the conflicts internationally are just, I feel like they're boiling over at a, at a rate that, you know, unprecedented with the, you know, alongside coinciding all of the different contradictions being, you know, brought to the surface through capital as a result of COVID just really shattering things. Chanel, what are your thoughts on the news? Do you have any takes? The news is the news nowadays. Right. <laughs> you expect it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like yeah. you can't even get surprised much. Yeah. It's always startling, but I'm not sure that there's much surprise nowadays. But I'm glad that, you know, there's some positive gains being made by folks in different places in the world. Yeah, absolutely. I got a, yeah, Bolivia and Chile, what's, what's going on there is just very, gives me a lot of hope, gives me a lot of hope in, in this really dark moment. I just, I just love the fact that in Chile, they're like, look, we finna get our people to write this fucking constitution because this shit that we had popping out before is not what's up. So we gonna get a hundred of us, a hundred of us, and we gonna write this shit up. And the fact that they're including in it, you know, things like raising people's pensions and making sure that people have that real solid financial and economic foundation. I, I just loved it. I mean, that them them forming that assembly, is, yeah, I just loved it. That, that was just great. And Bolivia, that whole thing is very hopeful and just hilarious to me how those sort of right-wing forces got overturned so quickly. You know, Evo Morales was ousted in a coup in November of last year. And I can't remember where I, I seen it at. I was, I was sorry to cut you off, but I can't remember where I seen it at. It said, you know America in a bad spot when they can't even do a coup no more. <laughs> you know, they can't work on Yo, I mean, it's crazy. They were like, it's just showing you where people are at. They're like, no, nah, fam, like we're not doing this. And so just, I think it's important for us to really just talk about more of the international stuff and really connect in those threads of how just like working class people are just, I mean, they're fucking done. They're they're done with the shit. They're, they're, I mean, we've lived for so long under the tyranny of, of capitalism and, and neoliberal neoliberal economic policies that have just just have or and and continue to destroy our lives. And so people are just rising up all over it. You're seeing it in Bolivia and Chile. I mean, you're seeing it. You're seeing it all over the world. People are rising up against dictatorships. I mean, it's a beautiful thing to see. It's, it's extraordinarily encouraging. And something else that we didn't get to talk about was there was a, a Gallup poll that showed that a lot of American voters are concerned about the climate crisis. And so that is extremely, to me, extremely hopeful that with the coming election, if 
Biden wins, then due to popular demand or some sort of him capitulating to this mass understanding of like, yo, something's terrible is coming our way when it comes to climate. Hopefully this will cause, again, if Biden wins and if he gets into office, this this will cause him to shift more radically on climate change issues rather than taking some sort of, you know, bullshit half-ass approach. I, I don't know. That's just that's just my speculation based upon what could possibly happen. But you have more optimism than I think you should give yeah, I know. Uh, these folks credit towards. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I know. Um, but, you know. If I could speak to that real quick, uh, I mean, I think we have to be very cautious, right? Even with, with regards to talking about a Green New Deal and shit like that, because a lot of that language has already been weaponized in a very different manner by some of the more liberal, you know, bourgeoisie who are running for presidency, you know, Buttigieg, Warren and shit. They're talking about basically militarizing, making the military green and really using that that war on like climate change you know that really jingoistic yeah, language yeah. and what is having record levels of defectors and what is having record levels of low turnout for folks joining it's the military right so what would be the best way for the u.s to easily get folks behind bolstering our military forces it would be militarizing with a green endeavor in mind but we already know that when once you sign that dotted line they can ship you off and have you do anything you know oh, yeah. and then we'll be proceeding with the same wars or different wars for different aims even but it still have the same result because of the way that we do fucking international right. acts and shit you know like so like for instance right you know a lot of the materials that would go into producing green technology like wind turbines fucking right. you know solar panels and shit like that all of that comes from rare earth minerals that are often located in the global south and so if we're trying to say well we're trying to do this for national security we have to make sure we have you know a green infrastructure in the u.s so that we can be able to maintain the homeland and all that good shit and it's going to require us to once again fucking pass the bill along to the folks who are already most disenfranchised in the world and so that to me that that's something that we really definitely need to make sure that we're pointing out because even folks like aoc have been using very like jingoistic language and like you know i'm not trying to you know speak as if i know 100 percent what her game plan is but you know when you have folks like that who are using the you know the socialist monarch i mean even fucking bernie sanders right like when we have folks like that you know they claim to be about quality and all these things but they're saying you know well we need to do this for it now national security. You know, they're using that same language. I get it's to get behind the ego of the folks who are more conservative and like may not get on board. But at the same time, we do need to set a different precedent because if we're just fostering the same strategies and ways of mobilizing folks, then we're going to fall into the same trappings when some fucking eco-fascist right-wing group decides to take power and use that same language to mobilize folks through some kind of right-wing pipeline. So, you know, we have to be prepared for the ways in which folks will emerge their ideology and be very concise in the language and not just using neo flagrant flowery shit to try to appeal to the widest net you know that's that centrist shit trying to appeal to the widest net we need to get people to really think about their analysis and come to a new way of thinking about our approach and really consider degrowth because a lot of this talk is still talking about growing the economy with with a green fucking you know perspective we need to think about how can we start to shift away from growing the economy and have one that's actually holistic and sustainable Mm -hmm. you better preach brother yeah, and I think you said it all right there, Glenn. The question is, what atrocities our military or whatever governmental force comes out of, you know, the Green New Deal, what atrocities are they going to commit? You know, that old school paternalistic thinking that so-called third world countries can't bring themselves into a green future. You know, what kind of atrocities are going to be committed? Because the way they do it isn't the way America wants them to do it. 
And how many people are they going to trick into joining that apparatus with the trappings of, like Glenn said, you know, an unclear message that's easy for them to skirt around? Like, okay, yeah, we said all that nonsense, centrist stuff, but, you know, that's that's not actually what we're going to do. Those are things that we definitely have to be cognizant of. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's a fantastic point. Like, like imperialism in service of, like, helping climate change. I mean, that's, is, I mean, it's totally insane, but that's the type of, that's the type of mutations that can arise, like Glenn was saying, if we're not being careful with our language and our praxis, frankly, you know, how are we going to go about this? Like, how are we talking about this? How are we going to go about this? Yeah, that's definitely a great point. So I think now we can go ahead and um, transition over to a different segment that we haven't done before. I wanted to do a reading here from a really interesting article that is talking about, you know, the possibility of there being a violence coming election day. This article is coming from Bloomberg City Lab and is titled Cities Gird for Election Day Unrest. Chicago, Philadelphia and New York are among those that have announced plans aimed at protecting voters. So, so before we really get into the article, y'all tell me what y'all thoughts around election day how y'all feeling about it what are y'all thinking what are y'all maybe expecting could happen in whatever way shape and form just yeah go into that if if, if y'all if y'all have any takes well uh i, I think I, i'll get my take out the way quickly i think the possibility you know you, you see some people discussing as far as civil war you know breaking out i doubt that's gonna happen you need two clear sides for a civil war. I think more likely we'll, we'll see, if anything, violence at polling places. You know, the FBI's already, you know, catch or caught people planning violence against protests or, or polling places. So I, th- I think I think we'll see a continuation of that. And if we're not careful in our America as, as a whole, if we're not careful, like I said, you need two sides for a civil war. We're quickly going to go down that, you know, one side is primed and ready for war and the other side is, you know, kind of made a target. And, and we see that with the government and the framing from mostly the right wing, but even from Joe Biden, you see him framing anarchists as criminals. When he speaks about the protests against police violence, just the same as any right winger, you know, from the talking heads on TV to the trolls in the comments, the first thing is, well, what about the violence that they commit? And during these protests, and Joe Biden, he's playing that same horn, he's playing that same instrument. And I I think you'll see violence against groups of people, not one side against another. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. And even with that, like, I don't think we've even reached a certain level. We have we definitely have not reached a certain level of like systems collapse here in the country for us to even be at a certain crisis point of civil war. Like I can still go to work and not have it be disrupted. You know what I'm saying? I can still go to the grocery store. You know, I mean, Anthony, you have more knowledge on this, but like, doesn't there have to be there are certain steps, there are certain phases of systems collapse of systems breakdown that would lead to something like a civil war or some sort of, you know, dystopian wet dream, right, of fucking martial law, you know what I mean? Like you said, those checks and balances are in place, and America is so good at keeping an eye on its citizens that the people that who want to do the violence, you know, the people who are looking for weapons and bombs, they're looking directly to the FBI, and that's how they get caught. You know, I think the implications of it all, it, like I said, it, it's scary and, and you might very well may see some violence, but I don't think I don't think on the level of some of these people, you know, are, are appreciating at this moment. Yeah, I'm going to push back against that a little bit, but maybe I could be wrong. I'm not sure if these sources are necessarily the most verifiable, but there's this groups that came together on the joint report. This was reported up by the Hill. So, you know, the Hill is kind of, you know, whatever. But this is a group called the Armed Conflict Location and Event Data Project and Militia Watch. 
And so they determined in a joint report that Pennsylvania, Georgia, my home state of Michigan, and Wisconsin and Oregon are going to be five high-risk militia activity areas leading up to the following election. Most likely with um, violence popping off probably a day after election into the weeks to follow. They're saying that they're pretty much been tracking activities of about 80 different militias across the U.S. over recent months, the vast majority of them which are, of course, right-wing. The maps has a bunch of subsets of the most active right-wing militias, including mainstream militias to those that are working in alignment with U.S. law enforcement, three percenters, oath keepers, light foot militia, and then also, you know, different street movements such as the Proud Boys and Patriot Prayer. And then, then down to, you know, the more libertarian kind of wild groups, obviously, like the Bootloos. They're saying based off of, you know, substantial segment of data they've been collecting over the last few months with regards to the uprising and different things. And also just by following their message boards and stuff like that nature that there's, you know, it seems like they are actually heavily mobilizing. You know, being in one of those states, I do actually have some concerns about what they may be planning to do, how they're planning to move because, you know, uh, I'm in Detroit. Uh, we're in a very, you know, city-based place and, you know, it's 80% Black. It would be odd to see them try to pull something here, but at the same time, if they do have the good graces of some federal agent systems, shit like that, or working with police because the police here are very, you know, fascist, uh, even though the police are, by definition, pretty fascist, our police have been very engaging with this administration. And so, you know, that does bring me some concern and a bit of pause, you know, when it comes to this situation because, yeah, I do feel like a whole civil war, you know, breakdown in the country is highly unlikely, at least not within the way that a lot of people may envision it. But I do see there being a potential for enough civil unrest to lead to a, a decent change in our posturing in our day-to-day lives. And also, you know, being in areas that are more heavily skewed in one direction could lead to there being different, you know, almost like sundown towns, right? Like you might have to even move differently based off of your appearances. You know, if you seem like you don't belong here, folks may start to become more volatile. And, you know, in the city areas, there may be more, you know, just like random acts of violence and mass shootings and things of that nature. So it's, it's hard to say. And Glenn, I, I think I, I agree with you 100 percent. And I, I and I, I kind of trailed off on and, and my thought on that, mm-hmm. but I don't think that you know I kind of want to tiptoe my language here. Mm-hmm. I don't think that a civil war is what, what's going to pop off, but I think if you look at the eight stages of genocide and you start to mm-hmm. look at their classification, symbolization, dehumanization, organization, polarization, preparation, extermination, and denial, and we know that America's been in you know since its inception, it's been in one of those steps. And even in the paper by Dr. Gregory H. Stanton, the president of Genocide Watch, he says genocide is a process that develops in eight stages that are predictable and not inexorable. At each stage, preventative measures can stop it. It is not a linear process, but logically, the later stages must be preceded by the earlier stages. Logically, prior stages continue to operate throughout the process. So with that in mind, and what you were just saying, I think that when the right wing, you know, if they are called to arms by Donald Trump laws and peppering of suggestions by right wing talking heads, I think that their propensity for violence is great. And I think that the violence is going to be in places like Detroit and things like that. So I don't think that, you know, no violence is going to happen. I think that we were, it's going to be different than what we, because right-wingers perceive their victims as weak. And so when they go to enact this violence, anybody they perceive as weak, that they're going to be in the receiving end of this violence. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. I don't want to make it seem like I was trying to say you were saying anything contrary to that. No, that was the point I was just trying to make. I was just trying to push a little bit of, you know, these reports into the ether because I think that it's important to keep that in mind. One of the other things that I think is also very important to keep in mind with regards to these groups and how they've been moving is that, you know, when we had that whole situation here in Michigan where folks were planning to kidnap the governor, pretty much once that happened and it was, you know, became very well reported that the FBI 
thwarted that plot. It seems like, I guess, from some folks who pay attention to, you know, these fascist groups, basically their channels have gotten radio silence since then, and they've been maneuvering a lot differently, and it's been harder to trace exactly what they're planning. That's yeah, I know. And it is pretty worrisome. And considering that also on top of that, a few of the different events that have popped off already have only garnered small numbers of folks. That does bring into question, like, what are these, you know, groups that house tens of thousands of members in some cases? Where are they mobilized, and what do they plan to do because there has definitely been calls to action by different groups. There's a group called like Trump's Army or some shit that has been getting a lot of promotion amongst a bunch of different right wing groups and shit. And so, you know, again, it's very important that folks really, really have a plan of action, you know, because like me and my crew, like, you know, my folks, my comrades out here, we've been talking and just thinking about best ways in which we can just, you know, defend our communities and make sure that our folks are taken care of and have access to the things they need, like medicine and stuff, just with regards to the COVID situation, but especially as things may devolve into greater violence as we move into the election. I hear you. Yeah, absolutely. Those are really, yeah, really great perspectives. Yeah, I definitely think, I don't know how plausible a full-out civil war is, you know, despite you know, some some of the alarmism around it, some of the conversation around it, but definitely we always have to be on the look for, for violence and always be concerned. I mean, I, there's, you know, data that's recently come out showing that people across the political spectrum are buying weapons, <laughs> you know, left, right, and center. People are stockpiling because people are scared. And, and that happened, that tends to happen often around elections, which says a lot about our country. <laughs> but yeah, that is concerning. And then also the language that Trump has been using recently, like acting like he's not going to leave the White House is yeah. concerning. And then Definitely. of course he's going to have to fucking leave. But like, again, you know, we have to be concerned about these militia groups who are diehard Trump cultists so that's all very concerning yeah it's all a big shit show <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah to give my clinical opinion <laughs> yeah i would like to i would like to hear your clinical opinion what, what are your thoughts and how should we proceed from from your perspective doctor yes, yeah. i mean i think it is important to also weigh just the weight of all of this shit uh, with regards to mental health, but also how we could be mentally preparing ourselves. What, what are your thoughts, Chanel? The mental preparation, I don't think we're thinking along those lines by and large. I hear a lot of people talking about, you know, material preparations, right? Like, mm -hmm. we wanna, you know, you guys are just talking about getting guns and of course we want to you know stock up on supplies we just really don't know what's going down whether it's because of the aftermath of the election or another lockdown coming right mm -hmm. so folks are really afraid there's a lot of fear a lot of it's the kind of fear though that leads to paralysis right like you don't really know what to do you can't really make a decision because so much is unknown you know, it'd be different if there were a few components that, that are unknown. A lot of people are, are just really not, this is not a good time. <laughs> when you break it down to the individual level and the sheer level of concern about like normal concerns about safety, then the abnormal things in terms of what all we've experienced in the past several months and looking at the possibility of that worsening, like anybody got time for that? So, you know, I'm working with folks, you know, a lot of anxiety reduction, stress reduction, mindfulness grounding type of things. You know, I'll talk more about that on this episode as well. But it's we really do have to find something to touch base with to ground ourselves right now, because 
all of the things around us can really give the mind some big ass wings and you just all over the place. Yeah, definitely. I've been feeling that. Yeah. You know, it's like the real bill, bill commercials to the max. Yeah, I've been all over the place mentally myself. So I definitely understand that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, let me go ahead and go into this article here and then read that and then maybe get some of y'all reaction and, and maybe see where parts of it reflect what we were talking about and, and parts of it doesn't. Again, this is City's Guard for Election Day Unrest from Bloomberg City Lab. Fears of voter intimidation and civil unrest have prompted authorities in large urban centers to announce unprecedented steps meant to avoid clashes on Election Day and beyond. Chicago, Philadelphia, and New York are among cities that have revealed plans to prevent violence on November 3rd when election observers worry polling sites could be targeted or in the weeks that follow if historic levels of mail-in ballots preclude the declaration of an immediate winner. What's less known is how smaller communities are preparing. Even those that have seen some of the worst intense violence by armed vigilantes during racial justice demonstrations, either because authorities have made no special preparations or don't want to show their hand, unfounded assertions of fraud by President Donald Trump and his supporters have raised the specter of such unrest, even before 14 men were recently charged with plotting to kidnap Michigan's Democratic Governor Gretchen Whitmer and overthrow the state's government. That those that's referencing the uh, quote unquote the Wolverine Watchmen who were planning to kidnap that governor in a PT cruiser. Quote. We have concerns that these same groups might decide that they need to take it upon themselves to go to polls and protect against a fraudulent or rigged election. In quote, said Mary McCord, legal director of Georgetown University's Institute for Constitutional Advocacy and Protection at a press conference earlier this month. McCord has been advising cities, state attorneys general and law enforcement about laws criminalizing private militia activity and how to enforce them. Many municipalities didn't respond to emails and phone messages seeking comment on their preparations. That's fucking terrifying. That included Kenosha, Wisconsin, where two protesters were killed in August. Other localities that saw militia activity at protests in recent months were among those that didn't respond to repeated requests for interviews. They may have good reason for staying quiet to avoid becoming targets, like Whitmer said. Brooks Rainwater, director of the Center for City Solutions at National League of Cities, quote, it says something about America right now that we have to have these conversations, end quote, he said. By contrast, top prosecutors in states including Virginia, Maryland, Nevada, Wisconsin, and Connecticut, as well as Washington, D.C., have issued forceful statements against voter intimidation and threats. In Michigan, an open carry state, officials announced a ban on guns in and around polling places, quote, prohibiting the open carry of firearms in areas where civilians cast their ballots is necessary to ensure every voter is protected, end quote. Michigan Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson said in a statement. On Friday, Detroit's police chief, James Craig, voiced support for the Second Amendment. Quote, but I also support the fact that there is no place for open carry in close proximity to a polling location, end quote, he said, adding that the department will be, quote, out in mass, end quote, though not at voting sites. <laughs> quote, we will be in the area if there should be a problem, end quote. Okay, so you're you're fucking useless. Of course. I can think of that. Yeah, that's an absolutely fucking ridiculous statement. The New York City Police Department is unaware of any credible threat associated with the election, said John Miller, Deputy Commissioner of Intelligence and Counterterrorism. Still, the department is setting up practice drills for possible scenarios such as natural disasters, protests, and explosive devices. 
And Memo Police Commissioner Dermot Shea said the department would, quote, anticipate and prepare for protests growing in size, frequency, and intensity leading up to the election and likely into the year 2021, end quote. New York Mayor Bill de Blasio on Friday announced the creation of an NYC Election Observation Corps, a group of volunteers outside polling sites that can direct voters to assistance hotlines and report any instance of voter intimidation, suppression, and harassment. In Chicago, a frequent target of Trump's in the wake of protests and looting following the death of George Floyd, the city has performed public safety drills to prepare for the election, according to a statement from Mayor Lori Lightfoot. And the city's police department canceled vacation days for those assigned to protest management and critical infrastructure protection. Miami's department also put a moratorium on granting vacation and time off as part of election preparations. Minneapolis, where Floyd was killed, is running its election headquarters through an emergency operations center coordinating communications and response with the fire, police, 911 and 311 departments at the city, county, and state level. Quote, we've done all we can to assure our voters that we are serious about the safety of polling places, that we do have security plans in place, that we do have the capacity to respond in real time, end quote, said Casey Carl, a Minneapolis city clerk. Officials called sergeants at arms will be at each polling place monitoring and enforcing a 100-foot buffer zone. Leaders elsewhere are making similar preparations by training election officials to de-escalate threats and work with police to counteract suppression at the polls. But most declined to share specific strategies, citing security concerns and the implicit tension between guarding polling sites without adding to already heightened anxiety. Quote, we don't want to give away some of the secret recipe, as it were, end quote, said Nick Jacobs, a spokesperson for the Washington, D.C. Board of Elections. This election cycle has, quote, all the earmarks of being very contentious, end quote, said Andrew Walsh, deputy chief of Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department. Police want to ensure everyone can vote without interference, but are not planning a physical presence at polling sites to avoid the appearance of intimidation, he said. Huh. In some cities, concerns uh, linger around the behavior of local law enforcement. A New York police officer was suspended for 30 days without pay at Sunday after he'd been recorded promoting Trump's candidacy on his squad car loudspeaker while patrolling Brooklyn. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, here we go, Barry in the lead. <laughs> oh, boy. Philadelphia District Attorney Lawrence Krasner criminally charged two law enforcement officers in June and July for their actions against protesters during this summer's demonstrations. Oh, hold on. We, we got we got to talk about crashing a little bit because there's some there's a whole slew of shit surrounding that motherfucker right now. What's going on? So Krasner, you know, he Krasner actually got endorsed back in 2018 by Philly DSA, right? So th this kind of speaks to this whole liberal, you know, this dim sock shit that these motherfuckers think we can run out here where we can just be endorsing people and getting them into the, you know, if we get the nice socialists into the, or the socialist endorsed candidates into these, right. these roles of power, they'll change the dynamic and that ain't ever how it's going to play. We can't keep doing these electoral strategies that don't actually have a real accountability system in mind for keeping these electoralists, you know, beholden to the movement. And we can't ever focus on that as just a whole goal, you know, and I think that's one of the major criticisms folks have the DSA that really needs to be taken into consideration because you can see the natural fucking, you know, <clears throat> uh, flow of things and how things are going to play out from 2018 where po folks were pushing for this progressive DA to now to 2020, we're having uprisings and the only people that this motherfucker, what's his name, Krasner, has been trying to put any kind of charges on, have been the, the people who have come out 
protesting. He, he's trying to file felony charges against the looters, but not a single fucking cop who's been out here yanking black mothers out of their cars and beating them in front of children and then trying to claim that they rescued that child who was on the street, you know, oh, on social media. Like, oh, this, these oh. fucking, these these rioting fucking cops have had no fucking charges filed against them. So we really got to stop pushing this idea that we can just run quote unquote, you know, progressive socialist candidates, you know, in these roles of like a DA and shit, like a district attorney is inherently going to work in, on behalf yep. of authority in which it serves. And we have to stop acting like we can, yep. we can run people in these kind of positions that can actually do something for our movements. Prosecutors in general are a motherfucking problem. Fact, that's just it. The fact that all this shit has been going on and he's only been able to, what, charge three cops? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Nope. Like, I, I mean, and, 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 and then, look, it's 2020. Pro progressive is not enough. The fact that we're even using the word progressive right now, progressive is not enough. Nah, it's not enough. That does not go far. That does not go far enough, especially for the moment that we're in right now. It's lost language. So, yeah. Yeah. What is it? If you put a knife in my back and you pull it out, you know, six inches in my uh, back, yep. you pull it out. That's not progress, you know. Mm. And the language—that's the most. That's the most insidious part. That's how centrist Joe Biden and you know the rest of them. They, that's, that's how they get their bread, their bread and butter. The devices, you know, or weak language that sounds strong. Weak language that they can later skirt, just like Larry Krasner, just like all of them. You know, that they're able to. You know, say a lot without saying anything at all. Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they caught that nigga the people's prosecutor. <laughs> wow, yo, yeah. that's the fucking oxymoron. Like, right. I, dog. No, he's telling you the truth right in your face. He will prosecute all of you people. He's the people's prosecutor. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. Your motherfucking like, ass gonna uh, sit in jail with no, with no trial for how many ever right. months because you ain't got money to afford the bail. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's 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 absurd. It's absurd. But let me let me keep it's going here. Crazy. Let me let, let me keep going here because this this is ridiculous. <laughs> he charged a third officer on October twenty second. Krasner's office has built a task force of eighty prosecutors and detectives aimed at combating voter suppression threats and responding to any potential criminal activity at polls. Quote. We look forward to cooperating with law enforcement, but we're prepared to move forward with or without it, end quote, he said in a news conference earlier this month. The greatest risk for clashes is in swing states, especially where conservative rural areas surround politically progressive cities, said, uh, said Sean Morales-Doyle, the director of a program on voting rights at the Brennan Center, a nonpartisan legal research center. Quote, we need to be on watch, paying attention and prepared to respond, end quote, he said, end quote, and law enforcement needs to be doing the same, end quote. But he also warned that emphasizing safety risks could contribute to tensions, quote, in the vast majority of places, voting will go off without a hitch with no disturbances, end quote, Morales Doyle said. In fact, many cities are treating this year's election as relatively ordinary with some additional tweaks. Quote, we are preparing like any other big event, end quote, said Sergeant Rod Malden, a public information officer with Alabama's Birmingham Police Department, which plans to station officers at every polling site on November 3rd. Emphasizing that Florida is not an open carry state, Tampa Mayor Jane Kester said preparing extensive contingency plans for a violent altercation is, quote, a solution in search of a problem, end quote. She said police will stay, quote, away from polling sites unless they happen to be going in to cast a vote. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> 
Officials in Louisville, where protests broke out over the fatal shooting of Breonna Taylor, were similarly confident. Quote, we have adequate security at all polling spots, end quote, said Lieutenant Colonel Carl Yates, the public information officer for the Jefferson County Sheriff's Department. Quote, we have no reason to believe that at this time that there are any threats or any problems, end quote. Even officials in smaller towns that saw tensions recently aren't necessarily taking extra precautions. During Black Lives Matter protests in Coeur Delane, Idaho, earlier this year, armed residents poured into the streets for several nights after false rumors of Antifa threats circulated online. Local Democrats fear that voter intimidation could take a similar form on November 3rd, but City Attorney Mike Gridley said those events have no connection to what might happen on Election Day. Quote, we're aware of heightened emotions over the election. We are not taking any special precautions at this point, in quote, he said. And that's... Of course, you know, you, you see the different attorney generals and, you know, different police chiefs and stuff saying, yeah, no, everything, everything looks good because they see, they see the potentiality of violence and they're like, they know who that violence is going to be directed towards. And they also hate those people that the violence, they hate black people. And it's deeper than that. It's, it's the Black Lives Matter or all these tags that they try and put on Joe Biden. But it's really a, a dog whistle for the already disenfranchised in America. You know, like I said earlier, the people they perceive as weak. That's who their enemy is, weakness. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just blown away that that article, I mean, the way that the article ended with just some of the most fucking naive statements from people who are supposed to be protecting us you know what i'm saying from sergeants from fucking police from mayors yeah for them to say that yeah there's no threat at all is you know that's clearly a lot that's you know you could read you could type in election day with no other precursors into google and you're going to see you know these articles from mainstream media talking about it you know i mean just this line alone local democrats fear that voter intimidation could take a similar form on november 3rd but city attorney mike gridley said those events had no connection to white what might happen on election day that you had a slip there <laughs> demetrius what, what, did, what did i say and, and when you were trying to say what you said white I said <laughs> oh, oh <okay>. <laughs> 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 so there you go right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, this is a place in Idaho that had armed anti-Black Lives Matter protests based upon fucking boomer rumors from Facebook. I mean, and you don't think that there's a potential there for any sort of violence? Just the level of, I mean, it's so fucking unbelievably naive. You know what I'm saying? Now, there are, of course, the other cities and other locations that are taking really great precautions, Minneapolis and such. But again, we hope that nothing pops off, but never hurts to be prepared. I mean, is it naive or is it perspective? Like, mm. You know, the perspective that they're out to, you know, protect and serve everybody. You know that that's not a thing. So, right. you know, right. from his perspective, everything's all good. They know where they're going to go, who they're going to harass, what they're going to do. You know, they got a, a solid plan. Right. Yeah. They've shown us all summer their willingness to immediately and viciously attack, you know, Black people and Black Lives Matter protesters. But when, you know, the same or even more violence happens, you know, caused by white supremacists and, you know, fascists, 
that they, you know, they, they have all the excuses in the world. Oh, you know, not my jurisdiction or right. we fear for officer safety. All types of excuses because the way the cops help you, they stay out your way. If they purposely stay out the way, that's the only way they help. And they do that for the right wing. They do that for the fascists. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, that article was, of course, kind of what I expected. A, you know, a mixed bag. There are cities preparing. There are cities that are not... So it's unfortunate, but, you know, all we can do is just hope for the best and hope that things go smoothly, mostly around the nation and hope for the best possible outcomes in, in this in this particular moment. If I could real quick, I'll just read the conclusion that was driven from that joint report I was telling you all about before. Yeah. The conclusion was basically that while none of this assessment should be read as indicating a deterministic relationship or ensured outcome, we intend for this report to underscore the extremely high-risk threat environment that the run-up election period and immediate aftermath represent. While it is not certain that one of the identified groups or spaces will experience violence during the contentious period, the likelihood has risen. Based on expertise in ACLED data, Gathered over the summer and into the fall, the actors analyzed in this report are among the most prominent and assertive groups in this space, and the locations identified are among the most likely sites of increased militia activity. For those watching and tracking armed militia movements and their environments, these trends raise significant concerns for the security of the election period, how seriously the election results will be taken, and the response to which every winner is selected. It is yet unclear how many of these groups will react. No matter the vote's outcome, does a Trump loss lead to anger at the system and a backlash against what is deemed a stolen election? Does a Trump victory further empower groups to see him as a supporter, including through verbal encouragement ahead of the election? The answers to these questions are as numerous as they are uncomfortable. That says a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I think we should turn it over to Dr. Chanel for the Unoppress Yourself segment. So, Dr. Chanel, if you could please lead us in that segment and give us the tools, give us the keys to get through this moment without losing our fucking minds and being scared shitless. So, yeah, Dr. Chanel, please take it away. Honey, them fears are going to come. They are going to be there and it's less of us keeping them from showing up and more, you know, how we deal with it. So that is the aim of, you know, what we started talking about last episode in terms of ways to ground yourself, ways to engage with the body. Because what are we talking about? You know, a lot of this is cognitive, but also very emotional and emotions are the language of the body. So we're not just in the mind, the thinking space. We've got to figure out how to engage with our whole selves differently. And that's just not a skill set that we are taught. So I'd like to take these moments, sometime in the Unoppressed Yourself segment, to talk about some things that we can do to help ourselves to be more resilient. And that doesn't mean that we keep the feelings from coming up but it means that we learn how to ride the waves. We learn how to be with our experience in a way that does not put us at risk for so much burnout. So what I want to talk about today is mindfulness. We talk about meditation and we know about meditation and it is indeed a great thing to engage with, but we do have to be mindful of the prerequisites most of us are not ready to just sit down and meditate, okay? We need to practice some skills to help us build up to that space so that we can, you know, rein in what's happening with us physically. So let's start with talking about what is mindfulness. 
Mindfulness is the awareness that we have that notices what is here now. It's not really thinking. It's not planning. It's noticing. When you feel the coolness of a breeze on your face, before thoughts show up, you've noticed that breeze. That's mindfulness. Mindfulness is the awareness that notices that the thoughts you're having are worried thoughts or there's some narrative that's been repeating in your head all day or some song that's stuck in your head, you know? That's mindfulness. So it's awareness of what you're thinking, what sounds you hear, what you see, what you taste, what you smell, and other sensations in your body. Whenever these things are present and we notice them in the moment, that is mindfulness. Now, some of the aspects of mindfulness that we've got to keep at the top of our awareness is that it's non-judgmental observation. It's our ability, our capacity to observe our own experience without criticizing it. And (laughs) I don't know about y'all, but um, criticism comes pretty natural, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes, indeed, yes. Okay. (laughs) Like, we beat the shit out of ourselves. (laughs) The true true death by a thousand cuts. Okay. several thousand okay (laughs) (laughs) and so when we're in that space that's those are types of thoughts you know those are it's an emotional quality to our internal world but it is not us those are those are things that are part of our experience so mindfulness says you know i want to be able to see things as they are without condemnation or judgment to be able to notice and observe and have a balanced interest in things as they are in their natural states, right? We, we want to register it with our experiences, but not analyze them. Be present without even referencing ourselves and applying any sense of good or bad or connection to us, but being able to um, kind of just be and, and describe, observe, and participate. So I'm going to share some skills of how to, to start taking hold of our mind with these mindfulness skills in terms of what you do when you are practicing mindfulness, right? So we got to break it down even more. It's a non-judgmental observation. I like to call it a, um, you know, kind of a gentle, a loving attentiveness to yourself. It involves observing, describing, and participating, all right? Observing, describing and participating. These are the, what you are doing when you are practicing mindfulness. So for the observing piece, um, some of these we talked about last time in terms of the coming back into your senses, you know, noticing what's happening around you with your visually, you know, say you're sitting outside and, you know, we do this naturally, we people watch, you know, Watch who we see, what goes by in front of us. But you can practice this as a mindfulness strategy by not following the things that you see. You know, sometimes we're out watching or just observing things and we allow our heads to turn with it, right? If you just allow yourself to stay centered and to see what is in your line of vision without following it, that's practicing observing, right? something we don't even really think about, but we are using a lot of these skills um, throughout our day-to-day and our lives without really thinking about it as helping us to be practice a meditative state, find something beautiful to look at and spend a few minutes contemplating it. You know, people who are into the arts do this all the time. Or if you like 
other things, you know, when we stop to appreciate the beauty of something, to use our vision and take note of the different characteristics of that item or object, we are practicing our observational skills. And so we can do that with things that we hear around us, things that we smell, taste is a good one. And you know, when you're hungry, that food tastes extra good. Okay, because you're you're tuning into it differently. It's not just the the food itself. We've eaten it a thousand times, but it's how we tune into things, how we pay attention to it. You know, with the eating, noticing the aroma, you know, when it's cooking, smelling it and noticing the uh, different ingredients when you're, you know, grooming yourself. We have all these different fragrances and things that we can take note of. Now, we also can notice urges. Action urges, you know, when we have thoughts and emotions, they don't just come with nothing. Like we have a desire to do something, even if that is to do nothing. And hence we procrastinate or we avoid or whatever. But every thought has a Siamese twin emotion. <laughs> and then you're going to have some kind of action urge. So then we want to be able to even scan our body when those action urges come and notice the sensations that show up when you have angry feeling thoughts. You know, and imagine yourself riding, riding the urge like you're on a surfboard, you know, or a magic carpet, whatever visual thing um, makes sense to you. So we can observe our urges to do something. You might be, you know, nowadays you're on a Zoom call and you have an urge to check email or an urge to do this, an urge to do that. <laughs> Some people on these Zoom calls have an urge to touch themselves. And (laughs) (laughs) shout out to Tubin. Shout out to Tubin. My man. Yo, that is bold. That is bold. That is benefited from riding out that urge. Okay. Yo. (laughs) Bold as fuck. Wow. So okay, so some uh that's some observing skills. Of course, whenever you tune into your breath, noticing how it feels when it comes into your nostrils, when you're walking, you can tune into how your feet hit the ground and and synchronizing your breath with that. Let's see, I want to get to the other one, which is describing. So that those are some observing ideas for practicing. The thing with mindfulness is that it does not the intuitive stance, as we have already seen, like we are instantly critical, instantly judgmental instantly bringing ourselves into the picture. What's wrong with me? Why did I do that? Why can't I get this together? Or we're blaming the other, you know, what's wrong with, like, it's, it's a lot going on. So we want, we've got to practice these skills in order to help them to become more familiar to us. So that's why I'm like laying out these different ways to do it. So for the describing skills, you want, you, one way to practice is to describe as accurately to yourself what a person has just said to you. Right. And checking to see if you're correct. Not only does it can this help the conversation and your relationship, <laughs> but it also is a way of practicing describing. Another way that you can do it is, you know, describe what a person has done or what you see them doing and being very specific, not judging their intentions or the outcomes that you don't directly observe, but stating to yourself what is. In terms of with thoughts and feelings, you can describe your thoughts, feelings, and what you observed. Um, So when, you know, they did this, I felt that, and my thoughts are this. Or when this thing happens, you know, I feel such and such, and my thoughts are such and such. Like, just 
deconstructing your experience. What was the triggering event? What set you off? What rubbed you the wrong way? What did you think? What thoughts showed up? What emotion words would you, you know, apply to it? What sensations did you notice in your body? And what action urges did you have? Just that and practicing that, describing to yourself, observing yourself, describing what's happening with you. And these are are really great ways to to become more mindful, to be to be practicing the prerequisites of meditation. The last one I want to review with you guys is kind of a you can go along with it as I say it, basically is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> okay. So okay. this one is about participating, practicing participating with your connection, your awareness of your connection to the university. So essentially, you know, you'd focus your attention on where your body touches an object. It could be, you know, the floor or the ground. It could be the chair or the bed. It could be your clothes touching you. And to try to see all the ways you're connected and accepted by that object. Right? So it's a little different. But, you know, preachers use this all the time. They talk about when you go in somewhere, they give the example of, you know, there's a chair, you, you you just sit your ass in the chair, you don't question the chair, look at the chair, you know, examine the chair, but you know that it's going to accept you. So thinking about the things that, that we're actually physically in contact with, your bed, your chair, your, you know, seat, your clothes, and consider the function of that object and how it helps you and think of it as a kindness to you. So then we want to experience the sensation of touching the object and focusing our attention on that kindness until we feel more connected, until we feel more love kind of rising up within us. So here's a way to do it. Focus your attention on your feet touching the ground. Consider the kindness of the ground holding you up and providing a path for you to get to other things. Ground doesn't let you fall away from everything else. Focus your attention on your body sitting in the chair and consider how the chair accepts you totally, holds you up, supports your back, keeps you from falling down on the floor. You can focus on your sheets and covers when you're in your bed. Consider how the touch of the sheets and the covers is holding you, cradling surrounding you, keeping you warm and comfortable. Even the walls in the room, consider how they keep out the wind and the cold and the rain. Think about how the walls are connected to you through the floor and the air in the room. Experience your connection to the walls that provide you with a secure place to do things. If you have plants around or if you, you know, Go outside. Think about how you and the trees and the plants are connected, how life is in you and in those things. And both are warmed by the sun, held by the air, and supported by the earth. The tree can even take it further and touch the tree and experience the tree loving you, providing something to lean on, shading. So, exploring things and thinking about things in a a different way that we're participating in the energy of them, feeling connected and that there's kindness around us and 
why is this important? Why did I choose to talk about this? I chose to talk about this because Black people deal with a lot of not kind things all around. <laughs> and if we don't have some tools Absolutely. to cultivate loving kindness for ourselves, we will ask for the big old crisis. Right? Like, it's a lot going on. So I wanted to review some strategies that can help us to touch base with ourselves in a different way to practice these mindfulness skills, to practice a state of being and observing and awareness that helps us to detach from painful emotions, right? I can't stop things from bringing pain to us, but we can talk about how to deal with the pain. Mm-hmm. No, that's very important, I think, especially in a space that's unabashedly Black. We don't have enough of that in our spaces discussing about the ways in which we deal with, you know, the different traumas we deal with on a day-to-day basis. And so I thank you wholeheartedly for continually grounding us in ways in which we can mitigate harm and really foster care in our communities and in our spaces as much as possible. I appreciate it. It's a pleasure and an honor to to have this this forum, you know, to be able to to talk with like-minded folks and to be like, you know, we got to have a total holistic revolution, okay? <laughs> oh, yeah. And yes, thank, thank you. Yeah. Yes, you are welcome. Yeah. So I'm going to shut up now. <laughs> and no, I was actually going to ask, like, two questions. I was just curious, like, I think part of what your your practice is trying to get us to do, right, is to just, like, not identify totally with our thoughts, right, in particular, the negative ones because of the destruction that that can bring. Cause like, that's something I'm doing in my own sort of, I guess you could say meditative or mindful practice, like for my own sort of therapy is to just really remember that I'm not my thoughts. And I feel like it's so difficult for most people to have to take that stance, you know, for, I mean, that's just a part of like the sort of philosophical culture that we're reared up in Western society, right? That that we are our thoughts, that we are our mind, right? That, you know? Oh, yeah. So, yeah, is, is that part of what you're trying to do? And, and, and my second question is, when you, after COVID, are you planning to do a meditation retreat? Because I would love to go. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we ain't waiting on COVID to end. Wonder what the hell's going on with COVID, okay? So oh, <laughs> we're going to be virtual with it. No, I do. I would love to do retreats one of these days. But to your question, you know, we are not our thoughts. They're part of our experience. Right. You can use, you know, think of them as passing clouds. Think of them as, you know, you see the person outside selling a bunch of balloons. They got the whole boatload of balloons right there with all the strings. Like those are thoughts on different strings, you know? Right. And we can take a thought, we can grab it, we can engage with it, we can look through it and take what comes with it because they all bring with it, you know, emotions and action urges and so forth. But if we don't practice separating ourselves or seeing how we are more than just our thoughts and sensations, then we're not living our fullest human experience. We can't. Right. We have emotions for a reason. They're not the enemy. Your body is not your enemy. Your feelings are not the enemy. Right. You know, so we've got to correct a lot of errors in terms of thinking and engaging with ourselves. But yes, practicing 
one way you can try to separate yourself from your thoughts and for a healthy detachment from a thought is to just acknowledge it, right? I'm noticing the thought that dot, dot, dot. I'm noticing the thought that I really fucked up that last sentence. You know, I'm noticing the thought that I feel stupid. I'm noticing the thought that I want a chocolate donut. I'm noticing like whatever comes up in your mind, say it back to yourself. You know, you don't have to do it audibly, but say it back to yourself with the preference of I'm noticing the thought that, or I'm noticing the feeling of, I'm noticing the sensation or the urge to, like just start calling it out and practicing doing that. That's practicing to describe, that's practicing observing, you know? And the more we can do that, because we're dealing with a lot of intense emotions, anger, frustration, sadness, anxiety, all the things, we have to have ways to find ourselves, ground ourselves. And just by practicing, breaking things down, observing, describing, experiencing your connection to the things physically around you, um, that can really be a saving grace to us as we are building up our capacity for meditative practices and mindfulness. I'm noticing the thought that I'm noticing the sensation of action urges. And then when you're ready to participate and to engage with yourself in a different way, then if it is an action urge that doesn't line up with your values or what you're trying to do in in the world right now, or in this conversation that you're having or with that relationship or whatever, then, you know, you get to decide to pivot because you've observed what's happened, not just being the experiencer and the feeler of it, but you're also your own witness. When we witness ourselves, when we observe ourselves, we can engage differently in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yo, man, if, if people don't fuck with the podcast now, nah, they missing out, man. They missing well, out. I feel like I owe Chanel some money. <laughs> Bro, hell yeah, hell yeah, hell, hell yeah. Where do I sign? Where do I sign up for coaching lessons? Don't feel like billable minutes, man. <laughs> Real shit. Real shit. This is fucking revolutionary Deepak Chopra shit. Y'all missing out, bro. Mm-hmm. Y'all missing out. Thank you so much, Dr. Chanel, for another yet again great segment. Now we're going to switch over to the Black Joy segment. So y'all sound off, you know. Anthony, if you would like to go first, what's bringing you joy? What's sustaining you, giving you positive vibes during this time? I think overall, my answer is always, you know, generally the same as my, you know, my son. But growing as a father, growing in the struggle between father it's been a great challenge you know trying to you know we talk about a lot is remove hierarchy you know and and these are words i've used with my son i want to remove the hierarchy from our relationship how do we do that how do we you know get you self-sufficient enough to where i don't have to you know growing in that struggle is is, is what's been bringing me the most joy is having him open up to me you know and for us to understand each other on different levels i think that's been really great and Really, like I said last time, we've been, we've just been taking in a whole lot of anime, man. We just we just finished Dragon Ball Super last week, and we're in the Hunter X Hunter now. And so, I've been yeah, trying just, to get just, you know, the, I don't shit. want to spoil it for anybody. Oh, to keep in mind that a lot of people are watching, but you know, it, it's the same kind of story as Naruto, different kind of build up and stuff like that. But it's along the same lines. I, I, I like it a lot. Like like I said, I like it a lot more because I'm exploring it with him, watching him. You know, enjoy things. It, it kind of, it, you know, it seems more more pure when he's he, he enjoys things. You know, and so he, he kind of informs me on how to, you know, how to enjoy things, especially during this time. You know, wow, that's beautiful. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Glenn, how about you? Let's see. There's been a couple things for me recently that've been pretty joyful. I guess you could say. And 
they're having some things uh, going with the group that I work with here locally with regards to creating some some bonds with some other groups and then also make some progress on some of my projects but i'm gonna keep that a little tight lip for now on the like entertainment appreciation side of things you know just had halloween pass spent some time with the family my son was a black panther for halloween and uh, we didn't do any trick-or-treating or anything like that of course because of covid but we just kind of had you know some small festivities in the house we carved the pumpkin which was the first time for me and for him I've never carved a pumpkin before. And, you know, it was fun. We just kind of did some stuff, watched some movies, ate a little bit of junk uh, for once because we don't do too many candies and stuff. We try to keep it pretty healthy in this household. And, uh, yeah, you know, just spending some good time with my uh, my partner, his mother, and my son. And, yeah, you know, just taking it kind of easy while also keeping it really busy. You know, it's always kind of hand in hand. When you're in these movement spaces, you don't really get the rest even when you're trying to rest. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Chanel, how about yourself? Joy, black joy, black joy. I'm happy because I have been um, getting to know my anxiety. And we had a really powerful meeting last Wednesday. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I can Sorry, relate. Sorry, I'm laughing at myself. I can relate. But no, I actually sat with it. I actually allowed myself to not freak out because I was noticing all these sensations and things and came to a place of greeting it as a friend. You know, it's like, hey, hey, friend, I know you're going to show up. Like, so we're going to have to do this together. Because me taking my time to fight you, to try to suppress you, to try to avoid you or to try to do all the things you say, even it's a losing battle. So shifting my relationship to what shows up, you know, that's kind of the next step in the whole mindfulness piece. Like once we, we acknowledge it and notice it, then we can start to engage with it differently. So I think my last little practice with that was very helpful because this coming Tuesday, election day, I'm launching a group. And I was very anxious about launching this group, but I'm like, fuck this shit, finna do it. <laughs> yeah, We need it. It's not the prettiest launch, but I'm so ready. And it's just, it's called Black Resilience and it's a pilot group for coaching. And, you know, folks can check out my website if they're interested, but I'm, I'm happy to have taken the step to finally like get it to the place where I'm ready to at least open the doors and knowing that my anxiety is going to be with me on that journey, but it doesn't have to dictate how I engage with things. So, now, did I hear that correctly? You said it's a poly group? Pilot. Pilot group. Oh, pilot group. Oh, excuse yeah. me. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, it's an experimental type of mm -hmm. thing in the sense that I'm really trying to work out some of the kinks in my framework of resilience and post-traumatic growth. Mm. And I've been getting great results with people individually. And now I want to, you know, see how these groups work out wow. so this one is you know it's timely it's based on you know being black identified and dealing with race-based stress and anger and frustration and anxiety and sadness and but you know we're not stopping there we're gonna you know vent and process and unpack and strategize on how to be well in the midst of the fuckery that sounds awesome. That is dope. We need that in every community, okay. <laughs> every black community. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Fucking trauma assemblies, trauma councils, or something, something, mm -hmm. whatever you want to call we it. We'll get there. We, that's, that's, that's next step, right? Yep. Yep. That's a long yeah. Way. Yeah. I think for me, what's been bringing me joy, man, I've just been nerding out on Twitch, watching different Twitch streams. Mm -hmm. uh, shout out, shout out to the surfs. They are fucking hilarious. Or, well, 
Lance is hilarious. Shout out to the homie who is Damon. He's a great Christian leftist streamer and YouTuber. He makes really great content. And so just like throughout this month, like he's been doing each one of his streams through October. Every day he watched one really shitty Christian horror movie. <laughs> and it was great. They are just as bad as everyone would think that they are. If you've ever been in those circles, in those communities, and you know about Bible Man, it's worse than Bible Man. A lot of the films, but yeah, it was great. I've just been on Twitch a lot. And yeah, just also really getting more into some of the stuff that Chanel has been talking about, like with mindfulness and stuff like that for my own sort of mental health practices and spiritual practices as well has been bringing me a lot of joy. That understanding of, you know, we are not our thoughts has been really, really, really helpful for me with dealing with my own issues with anxiety and stress and, and such. And, you know, I'm looking to strengthen those skills even more as, you know, the whatever insanity comes out of this election cycle. Also just been trying to be more intentional and be more responsive to, you know, talking to friends, talking to family, being more present, being more intentional with that is bringing me a lot of joy. Yeah, that's what it is for me. So yeah, this has been a really great, really, I feel, solid episode. Thank you so much to our listeners. Thank you so much to our supporters for checking us out on the fourth episode, man. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We're going to be up on multiple platforms. We're going to be on Apple. We're going to be on Spotify, Google Play, SoundCloud. We're trying to be the Little Wayne of podcasts. If you know anything about early Little Wayne before he decided to endorse Trump, because I don't know what the fuck is going on in 2020. Uh, early time. Little Wayne back in the 2000s, he was on everybody's everything. He was on everybody's feature. He was in, as he would say, every everybody's earbuds and iPods, okay? So that's what we're trying to be. We're trying to be the little way in a podcast. We're trying to be everywhere. So you can find us everywhere, okay? But still, to be very clear, making sure we make it known, fuck Lil Wayne, so. Yeah, no, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's, been fuck, it's been fuck Lil Wayne for a long time. Like when he dropped that quote-unquote rock album and he had Prom Queen on it, that shit was trash. I'm not going to get into it. But yeah, so... Thank you so much for the support. You can find us on all of those platforms, wherever podcasts are available. Thank you so much for your support. This has been A Thousand Cuts. I am your host, Demetrius, along with my comrades, Tony, Glenn, and Chanel. And we will catch y'all next time. Peace, love, and solidarity. Peace.